Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, James Azar here with the CISO Talk Podcast. Really excited to have you on. If you're not a subscriber, make sure you subscribe now. We are the number one cybersecurity podcast in the country of Ireland, I've been told this week. And so I'm very, very grateful to the lovely people of Ireland for being great supporters of our podcast. And we are number uh, 20 in England. So, so thank you to Apple Podcast for, for letting us know. That's all thanks to you, our listeners and our supporters. I have a unbelievable episode today. I've got the one, the only, Eric <laughs> Yancey. He's the ISO for this great city of Irving in the great state of Texas. Absolutely. Yeehaw. <laughs> Yeehaw. Deep in the heart of Texas. Texas. All my exes live in Texas. <laughs> Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on today. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, James. Thank you for inviting me. I got to tell you. So before we kind of get started on this podcast, you and I were jibber jabbing here and and wasted a lot of valuable time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I love love, love, uh, teaming up with other practitioners because there's something to be said about CISOs sharing information. This isn't a show. And I told you this, but for those listening for the first time who could be fans of you, Eric, who go, Eric's doing a lot of podcasts lately. And you <laughs> have, you've, you know, but I think COVID has brought out this whole idea of everyone trying to create content, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this show's focused on you. This show's all about Eric today. It's not about me. It's about cyber, but it's really about the people who are in the front lines of this battle. And so with that being said, folks, Eric Yancey is here with us. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. I, I guess uh, it's kind of a yin and yang. My ego doesn't need any more uh, uh, you know, boosting. But on the same token, I'm, I am humbled because I think we have an obligation to share our experiences, share information with our fellow practitioners, as you said. Uh, you know, you can learn as much from other people's failures as you know, creating your own. So and I, I can tell you how to do it wrong at least a dozen times. I can tell you how to do it wrong more times than I can tell you how to do it right. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
you don't want to go there. <laughs> well, I mean, security, it's, it's really funny. You talk about information sharing. Every time I meet with other CISOs, right, we talk about information sharing and information Mm -hmm. sharing used to be something between corporations, between CISOs, between government and private enterprise. But between CISOs, it's always like this um, almost when I see you at an event and we're having dinner, we'll share information. But outside of that, we don't really share. And we're not going to get into specifics here on the show, folks. So, you know, if you're a cyber criminal and you're hoping to get insights, you're not getting that here today. If you're a <laughs> practitioner and you want to further your career, you want to learn about how Eric does things, this is the perfect show for you. And let's kind of introduce you guys to Eric. So, Eric, tell me a little bit about your background, how you got started in cyber, um, a little bit of, of, of how you started your career. Hey, All right, so I'm here. You hear me? I hear you now. Okay. okay. Wow. Technical glitch off the bat. So, um, yeah, actually, uh, I, I after graduating from, I have an associate's in, in robotics and automated manufacturing out of Pennsylvania. I quickly realized that, you know, the Amish don't have a lot of technology. So I actually moved down here to Texas uh, shortly thereafter and um, uh, had an opportunity to interview uh, at uh, a company, uh, Sabre. And at Sabre, this was back in the, the, the modem days, right? So 14.4 modems and, you know, all the, you know, screeching to get connected. Um, they're, they're, they had a website that they were just introducing. It was a business-to-business travel website. And there was their corporate customers they were selling to that had these performance issues, right? Slow connections. And so they, they wanted this person who was kind of a charismatic geek that could talk to the customers, troubleshoot network issues um, without having to engage their network or development team because they are kind of, at that point in time, they were like, you do not want to talk to, you know, Bill Bob, right? Because he's just, you know, in his mom's basement, you know, drinking Mountain Dew. <laughs> so, you know, I started, I started doing that and, and it was really, you know, I had a great time at it. Uh, it was, it was, um, you know, really achieving a lot of success through getting customers that were frustrated back into more of a, you know, a happy, happy state. Well, this was, um, this was back in 90, uh, 4.95. And um, so we started getting questions from these same customers, financial institutions, federal governments, that this business to business travel site was being, you know, uh, uh, positioned for to do these security questionnaires. And, and, you know, everybody was like, I don't even know what this means. You know, a hundred questions about security. We don't even know what that means. So what I had to do is basically take those questions and research the answers for our, for our, the company. Like, you know, what kind of firewalls do you use? And, and you talk about sharing information. Think about in nineties, you know, Oh, we're not going to tell you we use a firewall, let alone what brand. Right. <laughs> so that, I mean, it was, it was insane. Uh, but anyway, so that's when I, it just kind of all came together for me. Uh, I really love the security. I love the, uh, I, the niche that I, I feel, feel even to this day is being able to talk to technology, right? To actually speak to and even, you know, do some of my own little ethical hacking. At the same time, being able to actually use a translator ring and, and translate that to the management team or to customers. And so that's kind of where I really started security. And I guess the uh, you say the, the rest is history. 
security to me is fascinating. People have so many different backgrounds. I say that on every episode. I feel like I should just like read this line once. <laughs> right. But give a card. Well, there, there's no one road to security. For lawyers, there's one path to lawyers. You love arguing. You think you're always right. So, you know, you go to law school, you become a lawyer, right? That, yep. That's that's the beaten path. In security, the, the path is being in so many different ways. Well, and I've, I've had people ask me and I've done some mentoring and I've actually done something like a career day, you know, and, and they, people ask me, you know, I want to get into security. What, you know, what do I, what do I do? And, and the CISSP has always been said, right, a mile wide and an inch deep. And that that really does not only does the the background of professionals vary so much, even once you get into the space, you it's like a medical field. You could be, you know, uh, an optometrist. You could be, you know, a, just a, a practitioner of different types of medical. The same with information security. If compliance drives you, then go to that route. If, you know, access management, you know, you confidentiality, encryption. My big thing right now is quantum cryptology and how that's going to disrupt our entire security stack in the next, say, 10 years. So, you know, if you're a cryptologist, so again, not only is it the diversification of the entry into it, but once you get into security, you're not really locked into, you know, people think security is is security. It's not, you know, there's how many different domains and they are subdomains. So it is, it's an amazing career. It's, it's an amazing career. It's a great path. And as we speak about that, um, you know, you bring up Sabre and when you said Sabre, it brought me to the office. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, not, and, not Sabre. And then, and then the name is Jan and you said the name Jan from Sabre and it just took me right to the office. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You know, actually, it's so funny. So another company I worked for actually had TPS reports. That's another show. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so Sabre, um, they are the big database in the sky that, almost all travel websites, you know, your Expedia's, your Travelocities, even um, your travel companies like Carlson Wagon Lit Travel, they all use this database to get flight information, uh, hotel availability, rental cars. But I mean, it was developed on mainframes and it's not it's still a DOS system, right? To like to look up an airport in this, you still have to put like K <laughs> K D A L, right? Well, like as a travel agent, you go to school just to learn the initials of the airports. Yeah, no, it's um, uh, well, I'm not going to comment too. Yeah, you know, I don't want to. They, they have their place, and their technology is ever evolving. It's. Uh, <laughs> I remember uh, when I moved to Israel in 2009, I went to book a vacation. And in 2009, Expedia and TripAdvisors were just growing here. But in Israel, um, there are still travel agencies. Mm-hmm. So you walk into a travel agencies, you sit down in a stinky, smelly office. They offer you bottled water and they want to book your trip for you. And I see her get on this desktop and she starts to input DOS commands. She goes, where do you want to go? You want to go to Paris? Okay. She looks up KCDG, Charles de Gaulle. That's the airport. She enters KTLV to KCDG and she looks up the dates. And I'm like, this is wow. I haven't seen a system like this. And that that was 2009, 2010. Well, it's even not even DOS though, right? So there's a a character called the Cross of Lorraine. I mean, (laughs) now you got hieroglyphics. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. So it, it's like me telling my kids, uh, you know, sometimes they're like, Hey dad, can I, can I get your network net, you know, your, um, Netflix password, right? Well, I use a password manager. So it's Tilde ampersand. I don't even know what the character is. Zero mind. <laughs> it's like, yeah, just listen, I'm a copy paste to send it to you in WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, email, I'll email it to you. <laughs> I'll email it to you with, with the subject title password for Netflix. <laughs> Yeah, all your viewers at point this point said, "Just I'm going to stop." You know, I'm not going to listen anymore. This guy cannot add value. (laughs) (laughs) Talking a little bit about cybersecurity leadership. So, what are some of the key skills and qualities you look for when you're hiring people for your team? Uh, uh, So, from from a technology perspective, uh, and I'm going to caveat this with: uh, in order to be successful at in my opinion, as a security professional, you have to have a hacker mentality. And I'm using it as the purest, not as what's been known to be bad, right? So hacker is saying, I don't I don't care what it should do. I care about what it can do, right? Think outside the box, be in you know, tenacity, be curious. And and so, you know, when I when I interview uh, you know, especially technologists, I ask them, describe your lab. And, and if they look at me like, you know, a puppy that just heard a sound like, well, what? It's like, you know what? You got it. If you get into this job because you think people are going to like you or because you think that it's a, you know, it's a very, you know, a, a three hour a day job, then no, you've got to be passionate such that at 2 a.m. If somebody calls you or you get a notification that something happened that you want to get up and, and do those things you need to do. So, you know, you have to be passionate. So the first thing is I want to understand do they have those traits that are not necessarily trainable? You know, curiosity, how do you break things? If I were to do the most damage to you, this is how I would do it. And they try to mitigate those risks. So from those are the type of personality traits um, that I think are extremely important to be successful. But from a professional perspective, if you're not able to uh, communicate, and, if, and what I would call uh, effective listening. And I, I'm challenged with that, right? Because I like to talk, but every now and then just shut up, listen to your stakeholder, listen to their pain points, and, and then be able to provide value to enable their, you know, to, to, to mitigate the risk to their processes that they need. So that's where I start looking at, you know, what is your communication skills? What is your personality type? And there's such a thing as it's, it's called like the invisible manager where you adjust your communication style based on your audience. And so, you know, if you go into, and I use this example, you go to a CFO and you start talking firewalls and, you know, DHCP and all these, you're an idiot. You just, walk away. But if you go in there and you understand they're a numbers person and they care about, you know, how they're going to close their quarter in a timely manner and what would a, a, you know, ransomware, what would that happen? You know, what would that impact them? Well, then you start listening to what is your three critical metrics, right? Okay. It's this, this, and this. Ah, what technology do you use to get to those results? Okay. The server, the share, this, whatever. Well, then my job is then to listen to that they need and come back and say, this is how I can reduce the possibility of bad things happening to prevent you from making your, you know, your numbers or, 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 or publishing your results. Well, now you're no longer an, uh, an obstacle, uh, a necessary evil. You're now a trusted technical partner. And that success can be I, I achieved when they reach out to you without you even knowing and say, hey, we got a new project coming. We'd like to get your input on how we can make sure that it works the right way. You, you just can't win better than that. 
So you bring up your, your last statement is, is, I think, so important because a lot of challenges because of COVID-19, and we're going to get to COVID later. This isn't a podcast about COVID, but those relationships that you talk about when looking into people, being a trusted partner, it's harder to maintain those when you're out of the office, right? Because a lot of those yeah. conversations are water cooler, coffee room, lunch room, elevator, um, conversations that now don't really exist. Right. What are some, you know, kind of deviating from some of our structure, but um, what have you done to, to maintain that level of openness and communication with the rest of your company? Well, it's almost like a, a disaster recovery plan, right? In the middle of disasters is not the time to make that plan. Okay. So what I've done, and I've only been at the city for about a year and five months, a year and four months. And over that last year, I have established those relationships that I just talked about. So, you know, COVID is certainly an example, but there, there's, you have to, from the very beginning, or if you haven't already, start that conversation. Go in and start meeting with the directors and sitting down and introducing yourself. And the result of that, I, I started actually uh, seeing the benefit of that only like five months in, you know, I've never in 20 plus years of security, I've ever had somebody wave to me in the parking lot as I'm walking into the office. I mean, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, they're doing this, right? And it's like, okay, so you're establishing a rapport and a relationship so that they want to contact you. So if you wait until, say, say, unfortunately, you didn't have that, you know, that vision. So you're sitting in a place now and you're in this little silo, there's no, in, there's no benefit to your your consist your your stakeholders and consistent constituents to reach out to you, and so yes, you are going to be kind of isolated. But if you've already, you know, reached out to them, spoke with them, they know the services. You've hung your shingle. What can I do for you? Then those type of you know they will reach out to you and say, hey, oh, by the way, you know, um, this person is furloughed. Uh, and they need to have their access, you know, uh, you know, temporarily, you know, disabled. Well, there's a new concept for a lot of companies right now. They're not fired. And a lot of the times you don't want to remove their access because that person is still, you know, they may come back and you don't want them to be rogue. You don't want, you know, they, and, you know, so it's like this limbo state of, of a state that most companies may not have even known about until this COVID. Well, there is no access, you know, IAM that supports half enabled. So being able to have those people come out and talk to you now in COVID was a result of me explaining to them before that the information security office has to be part of a process because if a person is on FLMA or an other type of leave and their data starts getting exfiltrated or the city directory gets exfiltrated, that's a bad thing. But if I don't know that they're out on leave, how, how would I be able to protect you? And so now they're actually reaching out to me. And that's where I say, again, it's, it's success, but it's not achieved today. It's based on a, re- a reputation, a rapport and, and relationships that's been built over the last year for me. We often talk about building relationships in cyber, right? I think every CISO talks about sitting with the different stakeholders in the organization, understanding how to be a business enabler <clears> to <throat> rather than security be a limitation on their business, let security be part of their business and enhancing it. Don't make, you know, 50 screens for someone who only needs two, 
right? And you don't need the same security measures for your HR person who never works from home in compared to your traveling sales guy who's constantly in airports, hotels, restaurants, and cafes. Right. They need two different user security identities uh, from someone who comes and logs into a desktop in your office in a controlled environment to someone who you have no control over their environment because they're constantly on the road. Absolutely. Well, go ahead. So this actually took me several years to to get somewhat right. But um, everybody talks about risk assessments. Right. And then everybody says we can't eliminate risk. We just reduce it to an acceptable level. But if you take a look at a security framework and and say you're an executive or a leader or CISO within an organization, when you start talking about risk management, right? And, 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 and information security should be part of a, a whole, you know, a, a bigger, broader risk management, at least process. So if you, if this is where you talk about compliance versus security as well, I'm kind of getting all these into one thing. If you look at and understand a business, right? So first you've done these stakeholder interviews and everything else. Everybody talks about that, but what does that mean? That means you go back and you, as a CISO, perform a valid and meaningful risk assessment. And I'm not talking about cut and pasting a NIST 300 page document. I'm talking about here is the realistic hundred things that could go wrong with your business based on my understanding of the business. And of those hundred things that can go wrong, we're going to disposition them differently. We're going to transfer risk. We're going to accept risk. Oh, by the way, here's a very subset of that, that we're going to mitigate. Now the mitigation I'm going to design controls because I'm a valued partner with you. Now, the controls are going to be audited because you want to make sure they're efficient and effective and implemented correctly. So now when an auditor comes into you and says, okay, here's your control framework, we're going to audit it, but you may be have a, a exception on one of those controls. You have the ability as a CISO to, to basically prove a case that says, well, this is one of three controls. One's detective, one's you know preventative, whatever it case is, but they map to this risk, and that risk can be um, mitigated through other mechanisms. So overall, it's not a con- it's you, you've got a kill chain there. You haven't you know basically that that one deficiency doesn't result in a material weakness as it would be, and so by doing it that way and understanding how a business impact assessment, a risk assessment, control framework, and assess and audits all work together to be able to effectively and correctly manage those risks, then you, you're a value. But to your point, if you just say, I'll get everything is going to be managed at the same level, right? All employees will have this two-factor authentication, everybody. <laughs> okay. I, I get that. That means that a lot of people who don't need it will be, you know, implementing it. And there's people that um, that should have it that will bypass it because they have admin access and they will bypass it somehow by creating another account. So what you've done is actually reduce your security by having this one size fits all risk. But if you actually go in and do intelligent, real work instead of just sitting back in a desk and thinking the world's safe, then you're going to be able to be a more valued partner to your business and actually do your job better, in my opinion. So you bring up a a, a great point, which is a lot of times CISOs 
focus on security behind a desk and strategize. And I think that's a common mistake that some security folks do. Not all, some security folks do. There's the enlightened folks that really want to understand the business and kind of study the business and really build into uh, the build security into the company's DNA. Right. Yeah. And and that's that's critical. So what skills do you really need to master outside of security to enable you to be an enterprise leader and also kind of push the security DNA into the organization? Well, and, and I and I hope I don't get too much hate mail from this, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't I don't think the information security discipline is immune to the Peter principle, right? So in a hierarchy, you're promoted to your level of incompetence. And and if you take that to say, you know, this is a great lead, they become a manager, they're a great manager, they become a VP, and, they be, and they're a great VP, and now they're a CISO, and they suck as a CISO, they're not going to get fired, they're just going to stay there, right? So if you take that logic throughout an enterprise, you basically, the Peter principle is that everybody at your leadership team is incompetent. Um, maybe, maybe not. But um, what, what I would say, though, is that I've experienced personally where there is a technologist who doesn't who wanted to be a manager or a CISO for all the wrong reasons. I want respect. I want a big mahogany desk. I want, you know, a seat at the table. And and all three of those are horrific reasons to be a CISO. Um, you should be a CISO because you want to help um uh, help your company. You want to be a force multiplier. You only can do say 60 hours a week of work, but by influencing a culture, you can multiply yourself and do exponentially more work. Those are the reasons, right? These are, these are the things that are so important as a leader. And, and I'm going to tell you, I've, I've, I failed at that, right? My first, you know, I wanted to be a manager so hard and I was so pissed when somebody said, we, we, we hired a manager from outside the company. We didn't want to promote you. And now in retrospect, right, years of scar tissue later, that was the best decision they made, not only for the company, but for me, I wasn't ready. I wanted to be a manager because the desk, you know, I'm you know, authority and, and, and it was, it's like, uh, when you talk about an executive and, and, you know, I'm humbled because I don't know the answer. I'm just going to tell you my opinion is that, if you're there for the right reason, then the skills that you are want, wanting to really focus in on psychology, sociology, communication, interaction, listening, you know, those are the things that a business leader is, is going to use in their toolkit to succeed. And not necessarily, if you're a great technologist, I, well, I had a CISO one time, he was my best sock analyst. I report, I mean, I told him all the time, I'm like, listen, uh, if, if you're doing this, you know, threat hunting within our, our platform, who's doing the CISO job? Cause you know, I'm not an introvert. And, and I was like, you need to go do you boo boo and I'll do this. And if I'm not doing this correctly, give me instruction on how you want it done. But you cannot, you know, you can't be so micromanaging that you're not doing the CISO role. And, and eventually, unfortunately it, it resulted in, um, you know, the, the departure of the CISO because nobody's, doing that vision, right? Doing the strategic part of, of security. And so that's where it's important. I think get out of the, you know, if you're a technologist, either a admit it and go down that path or B do it as a hobby, but be your, be your, a leader, uh, of the the cream. You you say something that I think a lot of times there's, there's a balance that a CIO has to strike, right? And that balance is between being a leader to earning the respect of your troops. 
Yes. Right. So in the military, you respect the general, not only because of the stars, but because of the stories. Someone doesn't become a general by coasting. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. You become a general because of things that you've done along your career that have led you to the path to become a general. And those and, and, and when a general shows up to his troops, I think the best generals are the ones that I think get their hands dirty a little bit. Well, it's so one of the best experiences that I had and one of my mentors, and I, I just I, I can't ever thank somebody enough is Arlen Gold, Arlen Goldstein uh, at Securus. He was the CTO I reported to at, at one point. So I'm in his office. I'm a brand new CISO. This is my actual first pure CISO role. And he, he says to me, you know, if you go into a room and you say, because I said so, right, you have the authority to do that. You literally have that authority that you can tell them, I'm telling you this is the way it's going to happen. But when you do, you have failed everything. And I'm like, you know, what? And he's like, <laughs> you know, it's like if I have to tell you, if you failed all ability to enroll the people to do it because it's the right thing to do. And you have to, it's like your kids, right? Cause I told you to, well, that's because they don't add value. They don't think that what you're asking them to do is has value. Right. But he's like, if you don't take the trash out, it's going to overflow. And if that trash overflows, it's going to get stinky. You want a nice clean house? Well, yeah. Okay. So why don't we go ahead and, and have you take out the trash? That's different than I told you to take the trash out. Therefore you will. Well, they'll do it. But the very moment, that you're on, you know, on a, on a business trip, the trash won't get taken out. So that's where I would tell you, you know, enrolling your employees and those staff around you and, and, and guiding by example, having consistency and, and, and not being, you know, all fly off the, the handle. They will follow. I love this. I said, again, right back to that mapping. I talked about risk assessments, control frameworks and everything else. Let me tell you another benefit of that. When I go to a developer and I say, Hey, I need to get a backup administrator. I want backup reports from this month, this month, and this month. And they come to you and say, oh, it's going to take me uh, uh, four or five days to get that to you. Okay, you failed. You failed the audit. What do you mean? No, no. The fact is, this control is yours. I'm not going to get fired if a backup can't be restored. You are. The fact that I have failed to communicate to you the importance of backup restoration reporting to you is, is the failure. So do you, if I'm on vacation for two weeks, are you going to restore your backups on the weekly basis because it's a control you think is important to make sure that they are, they are recoverable? So again, because I told you so, is going to get you compliant and get you a checkbox. It will fail. Oh, by the way, you may even pass, but every breach of credit cards has been PCI compliant companies, right? So it's like, okay, yeah, you know what? Yeah, you're going to pass the audit. Okay, Ernst & Young is happy. But by the way, the first time you have a ransomware attack and need to restore your backups – your 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 enterprise is out for you know six weeks because you didn't see the value you didn't get enrolled you didn't think it had value so what I would tell you as a leader is enrolling them into this isn't my security I'm not in charge of, I'm at the city I tell people I'm not responsible for security you are and I know that's been said it's trite whatever but I mean that it's like my job is to tell you the bad things that can happen and provide you the tools and resources so you can reduce the probability of that happening now if you choose ultimately to say nah I'm going to accept the risk hey 
You know, you're the one who's, you know, in charge of the water supply, the police department, the fire department. If that goes south, you know, I've done my job. And if I fail to get them to understand that risk, not, yeah, I don't use FUD, by the way, fear, uncertainty and doubt. I hate that. But if I'm like, you know, if I tell them, listen, here's a real distinct possibility this could happen. And here's very simple things we can do to reduce it. And they choose not to. I, I, I think I failed my job. Right. Because it's like somehow there's a delta between what I think and you think. But ultimately, it is their responsibility. I know I fly all around on this communication, there's James, but it, it is important to understand that. Yes, if you don't understand security, and by the way, Jane, uh, so it's um, Bruce Schneier. I love this guy. By the way, I didn't know he's like four feet tall. I, I, I mean, I didn't know if you've ever seen him. But I'm like, I, I have. I, I saw him. I got to hang out with him in the RSA media room. I go to RSA under a press badge, which is absolutely magnificent, by the way. You know why? No vendor wants to talk to you. You don't get harassed by the salespeople. You get harassed by the marketing people. It's uh, brilliant. It is. It's brilliant. There's you get cool. all the swag from the marketing people. You get all the CISO swag because you're a media guy and they want you to be their friend. Right. Any of the harassment of all the sales guy chasing you around. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to use that now. I'm going to. But, but no. But, so Bruce, one of the uh, quotes and I'm going to misquote him. But the essence of it is if you uh, use technology to solve a security problem, you don't know the technology and you don't know the security problem. Security is psychology and sociology. It is not technology. Technology is a means to an end. Right. So. So my point is this. If, if you is a tool to security. It's not the end all of security. Exactly. So, and, and, and I know I'm going all around and about about to say this, but, um, you know, I think that if you understand your business and you understand security and you even understand technology, then you're not going to be a manager. You're going to be a leader. Your peers, the people who report to you and your management team are going to support you that way. But if you go in one trying to flex your muscle and be throw technology to solve problems, you're going to fail. So let me ask you kind of this, as we're talking about this. So if what aspect of security do you spend the most time on? So where are you, where do you focus your efforts in terms of security? Are you, are you more focused on the human aspect rather than technology? Is it even, how how do you manage your time and, and, and your focus? So that has changed over the years based on my role. So if I speak currently at my role, now there's a lot of context here. I've only been at the city for a year and a half, but the city, the information security office at the city as a formal entity is only a year and a half old. So prior to me coming in, information security was a part of other teams and other initiatives, right? So I don't want to use the word bolt on, but you know, okay, we're going to implement a firewall because we need a firewall for network. Oh, by the way, it it does security stuff too. So within that, I'm creating from basic scratch, a security framework. So the most of my time over the first year by far was um, marketing. It was educating myself on all the different pain points and introductions and so forth. Now, over the last um, COVID aside, right? It certainly had some distractions there. Um, in Texas, there was a, a, a house bill, uh, 3834, that mandates every local municipality have all their employees and elected officials that have access to city data trained with cybersecurity training. I love it. 
well, uh, there's a deadline of 614 2020. And so, <laughs> so um, my, my focus has really has been uh, overall, right, besides distractions on obtaining, you know, going in and, and doing that training. And that, of course, is layered. It's marketing it, then, you know, doing phishing tests and, you know, making sure everybody has the technology to take the training. And, and, and there's a lot of different variables, but yeah, that was basically been my focus. So is this training more phishing related? What, what, what defines a cybersecurity training according to Texas state law, Texas state law? Well, so there's two buckets. Um, the first bucket is if you don't have a, a, a formal information security officer assigned a dedicated person, then they actually have a list on the Texas CISO website here is the training you have to take. So they, they have several vendors that, you know, here's the 30 minutes or 45 minute training you have to take. So it's very prescriptive. And in that training, it has, you know, okay, phishing, um, social engineering, it, 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 it's just a basic training class. Gotcha. It, it, but, you know, about the same time the law came out, they hired me as an information security officer. I, the coincidences are the amazing. The odds are unbelievable. <laughs> but if you have a dedicated information security office, you are exempt from that required training. And now my um, ethics and uh, you know my reputation are I have to design and develop a training program that meets certain criteria that's outlined in the law. So it has to – there's – I'm not going to – I don't even know what it is quoted, but bottom line is that it has to you know be – uh, interactive and they have to you go through a quiz. But for me, I punted on this first year and I'm actually using one of the training modules that they have, uh, you know, declared as, as official. Um, but what we also do and, and ransomware is, is the biggest fear of our city council. And it, it should be, I mean, there, there was 24 cities that were bricked last year in 2019 due to a ransomware attack. And I say bricked, uh, there was actually, you know, critical infrastructure that was impacted. And then like Albany, New York, right? The actual police vehicles were bricked. Um, So they were very concerned about that. So even before this training, we were doing phishing tests. So randomly, every employee at the city will get at least two test phishing emails um, sent out random. Uh, And if they click it, they have to take a five minute vignette you know, don't, this is what to look for. It's not a punishment. It, it's, Hey, you missed it. This is what you should look for next time. But if they, we have this, uh, fishing alert button that you click on. And if they submit it as a fishing alert, they get a gold star. So you passed. Thank you for your attention. So we, we do that every, like I said, every there's 1800 plus employees, every one of them gets at least two a, a month. And I will tell you our, um, click rate from the time I started to now, has dropped and, and like significantly, I mean, significantly, uh, and it's very encouraging. So now, unfortunately, the result of that is when I sent out the mandatory training, everybody thought it was a phishing attest and nobody took the training. So now I had to go back. Yeah, it, it was a, it was, you know, it was like, uh, okay, I succeeded, but now I failed. So we, we had to send it out in the newsletter and let the directors know, please let your people know in meetings because they're not going to believe me because I send out phishing emails. I, I find myself in that same situation. I'll do phishing emails and 
people try to get smart with phishing emails. Although I will say that I've seen an unbelievable uptick in phishing emails because of COVID-19. Oh, and you know, another one, yeah, we have this too, but one that is impressive. And I, I, I know thy enemy, right? There's been a recent uptick in voicemail attachments. So we, and, and with that, with the payload and at one point, um, the only thing it was funny is because people they get the voicemails attached in you know unified messaging there was a corruption the the hacker didn't correctly implement the 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 attack i guess they had an old version of metasploit right so so it was it failed it was corrupted i'm like thank god you know because you have a layered defense and by the time your client antivirus kicks in I, at that point, I, I'm puckered, right? I'm like, <laughs> that, that's not where I wanted to be caught, right? But how do you catch those type of attacks in your iron ports, your reputational, those type of things? Because it's a voicemail. It's a wave file. It's, it's, it's crazy. Especially yeah. now with work from home. So there's yeah. more VoIP services, more voicemails are going through email. They're being forwarded that way. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very, very interesting. It, it, it's a challenge and and how many um cdr solutions actually work on audio files i don't know of any that work on audio files yeah I had, to t- I had to tell the city manager you know i'm continuing to pursue technical you know ways to automatically detect it but at this point you know like most times you know you're kind of behind the curve you know it's not necessarily a zero day but again like you said it's like those um links to OneDrive, right you know the email itself is benign but then you actually click it and download the file out of band you know then your email filters aren't going to catch it because now it's you're relying on your other security measures but you know that's that's what it never underestimate the evil of others right and and the people who take advantage of uh the less educated uh, you know the older people you know kids and even panic you know this covid you know i i hate them uh, i used to really really get upset about it but now i realize through you know experience you know some of these entities not all but some of them are having to have tough choices right feed your kids or you know attack a third world uh, a first world country now one thing i am very uh, i think coming up in the next several months uh it's going to completely revisit uh, is the uh systemic false information and attacks on our voting systems um i mean i think 2016 uh was a a foreshadowing um we they did not compromise voter information they just manipulated uh voters um passion and and created false narratives i think this year it's going to be a different story i I believe that they they now have tweaked and succeeded over the last year and to destroy a democracy you don't do it with you know a head-on approach you're going to do it by letting us attack ourselves um, to you you do it systematically i mean you bring up a point that is i'm very very passionate about this whole idea of election security this whole idea of uh, divide and conquer right Mm -hmm. It's 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 very challenging. I find you know what's very interesting as a CISO. I get more questions about that than I do about fishing. Really? Okay. Well, as a municipality, I, I do get I get now. I'm, I'm well. When I first started working, uh, it was on you know I'm on a multi-state ISAC on voter 
uh, right. uh, but um, now it's it's coming back, right? Now it's like, okay, come November and even before November, we need to make sure that these systems are secured. Well, it's it's the system is secured. Um, you know, I, I've, I'm like looking to create content around for for employees around uh, verifying information and stuff that you see online that could impact your ability to make a right decision at the poll. I don't care who you vote for, but right. I want you to vote for the right person based on the correct information, whatever way your heart so desires. That's the beauty of democracy, right? Yep. I don't care who whether you vote blue or red. I care that you vote because you were properly informed, not because you were misinformed. And I feel well, like that was part of what happened in 2016. The Mueller report really did highlight that extensively. Mm-hmm. This whole of misinformation, disinformation, categorically well, denying. And so, so and, and I'm just going to. So one of the things that I've done as, as a city, we never before reached out to our citizens for cybersecurity. And I've been blessed with a leadership team who who encourages and, and wants it to happen. So the Rotary Club, the uh, or we have a retirement um, facility. And so one of the, the things I invited Secret Service, the FBI, the chief of police and myself went out and did a complete presentation to our senior citizens at the city of Irving on you know, how to protect himself from, you know, from fraud. But also we discussed, um, you know, the misinformation and, and here's how it even, it, it, it's multiplied in that demographic. They grew up in an era where a handshake and a person's word meant something. It no longer does. I, I, I'm sorry. It doesn't. Uh, and I think it depends on the person. I'm going to push back there. Okay. I think, I think that, uh, I'd like to say that I've shaken, I've done more handshake deals than I've done contract deals. Well, because uh, of and, the people and, you do business with, and and I I'm, I don't discount that. Uh, what I'm saying is that if I'm an older citizen, I'm more susceptible to believe and do a handshake deal, right? When the person I'm shaking hands with probably has a an you ulterior know, motive, exactly. So, yeah, I'm not discounting what you're saying. I think I think we still have a level of trust, but I think these people trust because in their generation, that's the way business was done. Correct. And and when you see something on this interweb, it's got to be the truth. So they, but here's the here's the problem where it gets exasperated. They are more likely to vote. Because they have the time, they they you know they they're passionate about democracy and 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 I don't I'm not saying this based on anything but gut, but when I go out and I start talking to these elderly, I'm saying, you know, look at it with skepticism and go out to trusted sites, whether it you know it's you know blue leaning, red leaning, I don't care. It just you need to make sure that just because it has a thousand likes on it, nine hundred of those likes are from an account of the same account, right? So those type of things you need to be conscious of and also recognize, think of it as it's false and too proven true versus true versus false. And that is not, I think, a gut for them to do. And then also understand from a, from a security perspective that if I'm going to take a demographic and say, if I can taint them, I could skew the vote the most. Me personally, I think that the elderly, you know, especially those above say 50, I'll put myself in that that role. Those are the people that I think are going to go out and be passionate. Now, this was before current social upheaval, right? So I think I mean to readjust that thought process here because I think that November is going to see an amazing turnout based on some of the the current, you know, political um, 
I think situation. that remains to be seen. We've we seen this happen time and time again. The same of what we saw happen now actually happened in 2016. It also happened in 2012. Like something where if you look back at it, election year always brings some sort of social unrest, unrest. in order to unseat or get a few more votes. What ends up happening is the right time to play this is typically October, not the summer. Now, James, now, are you saying there's a conspiracy theory? No, I'm saying there's (laughs) I'm saying that there's a weird coincidence about social unrest in election years for the president of the United States. A weird coincidence. Now, if you don't believe in coincidence, that's a whole other issue. You may call it a conspiracy. <laughs> um, if you're a person who believes that th- at times there are coincidences, then you might look at this and go, huh, that's awkward and I should probably look into it. Um, it, it seems like the motivation this time, though, is to drive the 18 to 25 to the polls because they typically yeah. don't show up. Um, yeah. well, they just don't show up. I just finished binge watching a 24 part series by a Dr. Armstrong out of Purdue on the um, the Black Plague uh, from 1348 to 1353. And it sounds like what security? What do you do? As much as things have changed, we're so technologically advanced. Humanity, has, it, it's 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 a playbook step by step by step and it's tragic it really is it's like oh my god you know they weren't stupid people i mean i i honestly i'm gonna tell you i look back at medieval times and my gut is all oh, those you know they're they're so stupid they were so they, misinformed they were, <laughs> yeah right so, but but actually you know they they knew that things spread without knowing anything about germs right now yeah there's there's certain they they approached situations as they would as we do today, based on the information we have today, right? So it, it just, it's so interesting. And, and I love that because I was looking at it. I started watching it because it's like, I wonder what's going to happen next in this whole pandemic. Um, but your, your, your point about this happening over and over and over again, history absolutely with 100% repeats itself. And it's, it's just insane how, what's depressing is how little we learn from, it, it's almost like, 51st states. So so I don't think it's how little we learn. I actually have a theory behind it. I please. So so <laughs> we live in what I consider to be my personal opinion, the greatest country on planet Earth. The most viable democracy to ever be made by man. Where opportunities irregardless of the current social unrest have been given every single person, and that's evident by the amount of success that's across every single um, part of an American life, no matter background, race, creed, religion, you name it. Everywhere you go, and I've traveled to over 100 countries in, in, in my life, I've been to over 100 countries, there's a map right behind me, and everywhere of a, that there's a pin on there is a place I've been. So I've been to six continents, and I've been over 100 countries. Very rarely in all my travels did I see a diversity of successful people. Typically, it's the same 
group of people who've been afforded an opportunity. Mm-hmm. They've studied in expensive private schools. They went to American or British universities. They came back to their home countries. They were able to get a step ahead, uh, get an executive job, and essentially become extremely wealthy. In very few places that I've been to, very few, a handful of places, have I seen people really have a drive for entrepreneurship and have a fair opportunity at getting there. Now, mm-hmm. it, are we perfect? No. We're not perfect by no means, but history tends to repeat itself because we study history. We indoctrinate our kids from a very early age to look at the history of our country and all of its struggles. And so when we reach a point in time like we are today, we're trying to find any cent, any, any, any little thing to fight for. Mm-hmm. And we're fighting on things because we're easily distracted and our generation, myself included, we're a generation of instant gratification. I post a video. I want to see 300 likes. I want to see 300 shares. I want to see 600 comments, right? But that's the wrong perspective. I'd rather have five likes, two really good comments, right? Because that's quality over quantity. Well, and it's it's re, it's retraining yourself. And I, I sat with uh, I, I live in Georgia. And one of the reasons I moved to Atlanta was um, I was here for an event and I met um, Ambassador Andrew Young, one of MLK's right hand men. I actually did my high school social uh, studies paper for graduation on Dr. Andrew Young, on Ambassador Andrew Young. Wow. So. I sat with him at the Marriott Marquis Hotel. I have pictures and video. It was impromptu. I, 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 uh, we somehow managed to get tickets to his 83rd birthday party, which was hosted by Chris Tucker. Um, it was great. Um, a bunch of celebrities in the room, like you name it, from uh, uh, from Hank Aaron to um, to to Ti to you know actors. Um, um, uh, the mayor of Atlanta at the time, the governor, uh, great amount of great power in the room. Wolf, Bl- I, I was sitting on a CNN table with Wolf Blitzer. It was great. Uh, wow! And Wolf is awesome. And of of all people in that station, Wolf may be my first, my my favorite. And 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 I don't have a lot of favorites there. And so, <laughs> um, but but Wolf Wolf is a great guy. And um, the next morning, I was sitting outside on the bench and he came out and he sat down with me and at the time with my partner. Um, and cause we, uh, we flew in from Israel to be at his party and I sat with him for about 30 minutes and he said something very, very, very smart. He said, back then we fought for something because there was a clear injustice. He goes today, we're trying to fight to give everyone an equal opportunity when everyone has it. It's just a matter of evening out the odds. He goes, it shouldn't be a gamble. He goes, people go to Vegas to win, but you should be able to go everywhere and win, not just Vegas. That's, that is insightful. But I, I do have to – and now, listen, I don't want this to get into a political thing. You don't have to. But, but I do need to say a couple things, right? I, I just – in my career, there have been several people that have influenced me a, a, a great amount because of their incompetence. I mean, literally, you know, it's not always, and we talked at the very beginning of this, I could tell you how not to do something. I think scar tissue and learning from mis- 
I'd say mistakes, learning from undesired results, right, is, is important. It, it cannot be ignored, right? Everything can't just always be positive. And as much as I, at the time, despised those individuals, those managers, and like, oh my God, I can truly tell you, I have used those experiences to never ever in my career repeat those mistakes. So the question I have is this, we are destroying a lot of our history right now, statutes and flags and other things in an effort to, uh, to, to emphasize the injustices that they represent. My personal fear is erasing that history. We have to at least consider that if, if it was completely erased, would we not then fail to learn from those mistakes? I think it's a tragedy. I'm not advocating those things. I'm not saying I'm not saying Hitler was was a was a great person as an example. What I'm saying is we better study why why he came to power, why he was able to influence an entire country to do mass devastation. Because if you don't, the next person who may be a president. It would do the same. Now, am I going to erect, erect a, 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 you know, a, some statue of, of this horrific dictator? No. But am I going to tear out every page that has his name in a history book? I'm just not sure that's the that's the right approach. And I see right now a very concerted effort to understand and empathize with the injustices that were done through, you know, racial injustice in, in the United States and across the planet right now. I'm just not sure that erasing it from memory is going to meet the ends, the result that's needed. I don't and, know. And, and, and I agree with you. I think there's we should look at this like this. This country is imperfect. There's no country that's perfect. There's no system that's perfect anywhere in the world today. Like there's no perfect security. As CISOs, one of the first things we tell the business is, it's not if, it's when. And our job is to do everything humanly possible so that when it happens, we can bounce back quick. Yeah. Right? And in our, in, in today, it seems like the, um, the, idea is to almost say ransomware is there and we're going to get hit by ransomware let's pay them and i think that's the same mentality today with trying to erase statues flags and history i don't think we should ever have a statue of someone who committed mass murder of someone who promoted any social injustice i don't care what time it is we shouldn't that statue should be in a museum as part of a history to educate our young ones on why that person is bad. It shouldn't be in a town square. And I agree. In front of a courthouse. Yes. I completely, I'm not saying erase that history, but that history has a place where it belongs and it's in a museum. When I was in Eastern Europe and I'd visit their museums, they had the era of the dictatorship of communism, but it was in a museum. It was never outside that museum. And I think as a country, we have to understand that and say, how do we take those things into a museum and put the proper historical perspective on it so that younger people look at it and not see it celebrated? Because when they see it celebrated, that's what creates that level of division and animosity and social injustice, because you're you, you look at that statue of whoever it is and, 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 and you say that. But, but, but by the way, just so it's it's educate, not advocate. Correct. You know, and that's and, and that. But by the way, and I was just kind of wrap it around to the one of the, the most powerful presentations I, I have done 
was with our city council and we were changing from uh, well, they wanted me to describe a layered security approach, right? Because th- this is a, this is a, a council who was you know very interested in cybersecurity. There's Baltimore had just happened. They were really wanting to understand it, and so I used the whole automobile approach, right? And and the question is, you know, could you have an accident on your way into work? Well, the answer is yes, right? So I had this little vehicle on the spread on the on the slide go across and it says, so what do you do to reduce the probability? Right? You drive on a road, you drive the speed limit, you know the the driver's laws. And if it all hits the fan, you have car insurance, right? And then you may have a rental clause. And then on the same slide, I then mapped it back to the layers. We have firewalls, routers, and all these things. And this is where this layered approach means. Now here's the, the pickle, and this is what I told them to save my my job, was to basically say, if you had a car accident. And you driving out of the body shop in a rental car as your car is getting repaired. Can you get into another accident? Absolutely. So it's if we get hit by ransomware and all these things fail the next day after recovery, could we get hit by ransomware? It answers yes. Nothing's perfect. Nothing's 100 percent. But it realized that if you get to that point, there's a lot of things that have gone wrong terribly wrong. And I only bring that up because as you said, nothing's hundred percent. We need to learn from mistakes from the Baltimore and things like from ransomware. But second is communicating in a way that the city council, these are a bunch of older individuals, right? So they're to be able to map the unknown technology to something they can understand was a very, it, it made an impact. And last year I got my budget approved without any, you know, any real hard sell. So that was important for me to, to communicate it. I, I use the onion, the layer onion method. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, but I like the car method. I'd love to see that presentation. Um, kind of looking at, you know, security projects. What security project did you enjoy working on the most? Well, so when I was hired in uh, to a company, they they did it for a very compliance-centric reason. They were like, okay, we have to be Sarbanes-Oxley compliant. We don't even know what that means. And I was hired in as a married band of one. And they said, the first thing you need to do is we, we had a pre-assessment for SOX, and we failed deplorably because we had – uh, user accounts that were disabled. We had admins, domain admins in, 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 on servers. It was just, it was incredible. And they said, you need to be able to manage user access and you have the money by the way. So, you know, there were at that time, this is, this is really you know, 15 years ago. So I, um, I actually out of necessity developed a, a, a tool called access control center. And, and those who've worked with me are like, Oh, it was the, it was great, but the, a worst nightmare because <laughs> it was, it was based on cold fusion, SQL and LDAP queries. But basically after two years um, of the coding and developing it, it really, it was amazing. I, I gotta tell you, I, the auditor came in and said, you really need to commercialize this because the way it worked was and it, it's it's typical of like IAM now where a user gets onboarded, they get role-based provisioning based on certain things. Uh, I could look up a user and it says, here's the following systems that they had access to, or I could do a dump from a particular system. So when an auditor came in and said, you know, hey, I need to know everybody who has access in their roles. What was beautiful about it is that the queries I was using was in clear text on this web-based platform. So I could change the query and show them look, the results of the report changed. So you know how auditors always say, you know, I need the query that you use to get to this result. We're not, well, it was able to do that, but it actually even printed out 
user access badges. It, it uh, if somebody was terminated, it would actually do an immediate um, disabling and removal of all their access and even remove their badge access. So it was really, I mean, it was very complicated and complex. The problem, of course, was. Um, you start diving into development, right? So I'll never do that again because, you know, even though it was really fun, I got instant gratification out of it. It was an enterprise level application. It was very, I mean, just awesome. Again, I'll go back to what I said before. I was a CISO with more technology than CISO, right? So I, I really, uh, you know, learned from that. The other side of it was, you know, you need to do your job and get the core competency. So now I, I get that instant gratification through my own hobbies and, you know, hacking and, and all those things on the side, not necessarily as the ISO for the city. It's um, like I said, you're, it's, it's hands-on. It's, it's the best part. So what challenge do you see security practitioners starting to overcome? Like what problem have we solved and what problem do we still need to focus on a little bit more to get, to get over that hump in your opinion? Well, I, I actually I would I would say the the, the answer is similar. Um, I think what we've from when I started in information security, we, we we joked about how you know nobody would even talk about a breach. Um, I think it was the either the Home Depot or the Target breach was one of the first that was actually you know un unveiled where this is what happened and, and how, you know, I think the CISO at the time was able to actually do conferences and say, you know, don't don't have the same issues that I had. And these breaches were, could have been prevented by the following. Before that, I was in meetings where I actually had to sign non-disclosure agreements to sit in the same room as anybody outside the company. And <clears throat> so being able to do threat intelligence, share information and have discussions like this was unheard of. And so we've made a lot of strides over the years in, in being able to communicate. I, multi-state ISACs or industry-specific ISACs would be unheard of. I think the challenge that we, we, me included, need to continue to improve upon is mapping security's value back to the business unit, listening and understanding. Um, I, I think we're still challenged because information security is still a cost center, a commodity. It's viewed as a necessary evil. And until we can change that, um, that view and really engage, then we're going to always have that security was not let, they didn't know about a project or it was had to be bolted on at the last second. In those situations, if you do a really, really hard look at yourself, it's because the people that were in those discussions that didn't bring you in didn't think of you as a and you as a department. I mean, as a value, right? So if you can start getting the culture change, the, uh, the 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 mentality change to say, the only way that this project can succeed is by using technology. We don't have the money or resource to to, to actually do it without technology. The only way that technology can function is by having it secured. When you get to that level. I think you're succeeded, but I think we've got a long way to go to get it to be second nature to our stakeholders. Yeah, that's a um, that's a great point. I think there's so much of that in in the idea that we need to communicate better with our stakeholders and business. At RSA this year, I did a podcast um, um, with uh, Mark Maxman. He's the CISO for the city of San Francisco, and we were talking about what CISOs and ISOs for cities 
can do with small businesses who are the number one victims of cybercrime by utilizing big business resources to apply it locally to small business levels. Great topic. Yeah. Um, A great, great podcast. I think um, something where I want to connect both of you and see if you guys can actually share some of that. There's something about um, being in a position like you're in of a city. Um, when you go to a city as a, as a, as a ISO or a CISO, you're, you're really in a, in a, you're serving the greater community. You're, you're really looking out for small businesses. You're looking out for what drives the economy of the city you're in. And we know that small businesses who go through a cyber event don't always make it out the other end. The majority don't. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I'm, I'd love to be able to get a few city ISOs together and put together a really cool program, maybe with some corporate donors that would allow us to uh, create incentives for small businesses, especially because well, they're part of our supply chain for big business. And so if, if I may, so there's two things. Um, before I worked for the city, my interaction with uh, government was always the DMV, you know, and I always had a cynical view. I'm just going to tell you. Right. Uh, but now that I've gotten in, I realize that if you're in a city job for the money, you're an idiot, right? The money you know, isn't there. <laughs> it, it's not there. And, and you, I mean, we have, we have an IT vehicle that literally is put together with duct tape. I mean, you get into the vehicle, the dashboard is literally taped because these people don't have money or resources. They're not doing it for that. They're doing it because they're passionate about the impact they can make for the community. I have 240,000 customers, right? Now, I mean, where else can I, you know, the the water, the difference between safe drinking water and poison is a ratio of the same chemicals, right? I'm now protecting the SCADA systems, the wastewater systems, good pollution and all this. You can't do that anywhere else. And so the CISOs and ISOs of these municipalities, I think would be a great resource because I, I, I'm speaking for myself, but based on my interactions, we would be the ones who get the bitter, bigger picture and want to help the world, right? It's not, I'm not saying that public sector isn't that way, or private sector, I mean, but I'm just saying that, you know, it, to be able to, like I said, outreach to the senior center, to outreach to the, the Rotary Club, I'm not doing that because, you know, I'm doing that on, on you know, out of the purview of my job, but it's because I want to serve the greater good. And, and I think it'd be a great initiative. Yeah. Go out and reach out and, and see, you know, there's, I tell you, everything that I have dealt with in cybersecurity has an open source equivalent. Yes, 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 yes. There's so much free, there's so much free security tools out there. And one, one of the aims of, of the, the podcast of, of, of CyberHub podcast altogether, CISO Talk being one piece of it, is to really bring all those tools together for people so that they can go to one spot. One of, you know, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of really cool, I'm doing a lot of really cool projects with this. I say we, I should stop saying we. Thanks to COVID, it's I. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of really cool projects around, you know, when I do my practitioner brief every single day, it's, it's something that I do for my own. Right. I wake up in the morning. I look at all the vulnerabilities, all the updates. I I make a list and then I start to cross check that list with my IT infrastructure. What, you know, especially as a virtual CISO, you know, I'm running, you know, four different IT 
infrastructure simultaneously, right? Yeah. I can't remember every single aspect of every single one. And so a lot of times that, you know, you're going back, you're looking at, you know, your, your, or, and you're going, oh, wow, we need to patch this system. So now you start to, you know, contact the MSP that's in charge of it going like, hey, I need to get this patched in the next 24 hours, or we need to do this update or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I now put that out in a five minute podcast every single day with an accompanying PDF with all the links. You don't have to look anywhere. It's for awesome. Yeah. Take it. If you're a business yeah. owner, if you're a, a, a virtual CISO, if you're an ISO and you spend three, two hours of your morning looking for this stuff, five minutes every single day, you got it. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's one of the one of the best presentations I saw at a, a conference was a CISO. And, and the topic was a day in the life of a CISO. And it's like every morning I start doing this. And, you know, it's kind of it just basically to your point every morning. OK, you know, what's the, you know, cert results for the day, the MSI sec notifications. Okay. Now I'm going to look at, you know, certain monitoring tools. It's like, you know, how bad is my day going to be? So, um, you know, if you don't have a dedicated resource to do those type of things, you're right. You're just kind of at a disadvantage. And as you said, not only is small businesses, and this was became one of the results of COVID is these huge companies realizing where the leak, the weak links in their supply chains are. And it, it boils down to a lot of small businesses, you know, less than what is it? I think it's 150 employees, you know, it's like something significant percentage of these, these uh, supply chains. So absolutely something we should do. Yes. And we will. Now it's time for our CISO insight round. This is the end of our interview, but it is the best part of the interview, Eric. Oh my God. One word answers to the following questions. Only I get to make you explain it. So this is kind of like you're being on the witness stand. You're on the hot seat and I'm a lawyer and I'm going to say, yes or no. Did you see the person kill? (laughs) I've seen way too many law and order. Yeah. 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 Too many. Okay. Um, McCoy. All right. Um, One buzzword you would get rid of forever. Synergies. (laughs) yeah one technology that will change the way cybersecurity is done quantum uh computing quantum computing indeed for for those who love quantum computing by the way i did an episode with um um chris from the cdc i forgot chris's last name and i really do apologize um where we talked about quantum and how the cdc is utilizing quantum unbelievable before covid by the way um last book you read the Phoenix Project. Why? I, I started reading it uh, because it was recommended to me, but it is an amazing document on constraint management, how technology can make or break a company, and it's done in a storyline that is just amazing. So it, it just was a, an amazing book. Last on movie you saw? Uh, I Deadpool for One the or two. Uh, the last one was one again, but I've seen them both. I love them both, but it, yeah, I'm I'm a Deadpool fan. I'm a Deadpool fan too. Of all superheroes, I can't relate to Superman to Batman. I get Deadpool. I think Deadpool <laughs> represents every single security passion guy. <laughs> no, because if 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 you could if you could have an alter ego as a security guy, it'd be Deadpool. Well, it's it's so funny is that I wake up to Angel in, of the morning. <laughs> Gets me, gets me stoked. <laughs> um, my my ringtone that wakes me up every morning is the theme to the Israeli TV show Fauda on Netflix. I'm not gonna have to look that one up. 
it's i don't know if you liked homeland or 24 yes 24 Mm -hmm. it's like it makes it puts 24 to shame okay yeah we'll connect you got to give me this i'll I'll get you that um but but that is your favorite music you know, one answer, variety. Uh, what's the playlist you were listening to today? What was the last song you heard? Oh, um, that would be uh, the vengeful one by Disturbed. Okay, see, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a rough day. <laughs> one thing you took away from the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm resilience. Folks, that's it for our system insight round with Eric. I want to say, Eric, thank you so much for um, coming on the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time. We've gone 15 minutes over, but we could have gone for another hour and I think oh, you yeah. would still be tuning in. Um, but this was a great, great episode. Folks, Eric Yancey, give him a hand. <sighs> <laughs> Thank you. The COVID hand. The COVID hand. Yeah, the COVID. <laughs> when I was at RSA, I kept elbow bumping people. But then, you know, um, uh, uh, Dr. Nigel uh, Smart from uh, – uh, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the company. We were doing an interview, and he goes, do you ever notice how they tell you to cough in your elbow and then shake with it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a different way of looking at it, yeah. So oh, it, was, it was very interesting. So I was like, so do I shake your hand then and cough here? Should this be the approach? Yeah. They're sort of shaking with the left hand. Maybe we should just hug. I go, you don't transfer any germs by hugging unless you're kissing. Hmm. I go, let's let's just hug. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Folks, Eric uh, here for the Sister Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, that's it for our episode today. We have another awesome episode next week it's going to be our state of the union part two our last state of the union was also in the great state of texas we were in plano texas at the data bank facility mark hopped uh the CISO at data bank and patrick benoit the bso at cbre so all the three of us got together and we gave a state of the union this was a month before COVID 19 and you're going to want to tune in to next week's episode of how bad our predictions were about the state of the union for cybersecurity because something came and just knocked it all out and it was an invisible global pandemic that has taken the lives of over 110,000 Americans and uh, almost another 190,000 people globally so um, definitely uh, definitely not an invisible uh, funny thing but definitely something that has really impacted the way we all behave until next week folks Subscribe, share, and most importantly, stay cyber safe.